How to evaluate aging pitchers. How to evaluate pitchers coming over from a foreign league. How to evaluate spring training stats. We'll answer these questions and more in part two of our starting pitcher review. Our own Paul Sporer, editor of Rotographs and host of the Sleeper and the Bus podcast, joins us next on Beat the Shift. And welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Really getting to the swing of things. Spring training, pitchers and catchers have started. It, You know, I, I always wait for that first day when they actually play games, those exhibition games. And, you know, the very first one where they have what, what should be the opening day where the, the veterans uh, roster. Are you ready for that? I am more than ready for it. I, I just we just had six inches, seven inches of snow by me, so I'm ready for baseball. Yeah, we were clear for the snow for a while in New York here, but uh, we it was like it was like the first snowstorm in two years, which is actually pretty good. We've been uh, avoiding the snow. Yep, yep. All right. Well, we're gonna warm up here as we talk pitchers for our part two of our starting pitcher episode, and joining us, he is the editor of Rotographs, Paul Sporer. Welcome to the show gentlemen thank you so much for having me on i appreciate it our pleasure and as we uh, get into it on the show we go right in in our strategy section tonight talking a little bit about pitching and pitching strategies first question to you paul is you know sometimes pitchers change roles talking about uh, a reliever going into the starting rotation how does that affect performance for you and is that a place that you can f- typically find undervalued players yeah, I certainly think that the you know the transition, especially from relief to starting, is something that a lot of people approach pretty cautiously, which I certainly understand. But it can then create some pockets of opportunity, and obviously each situation has to be judged very differently. I still remember a very old one when C.J. Wilson uh, went from being you know a solid lefty reliever into starting and transitioned really nicely and became a a full-fledged starter kind of like right away and started eating up some innings and doing so pretty well and so you know i I can think of two this year that that really are jumping out one that i'm in on another that i'm I'm not really touching although i am wishing that player the best because their upside is substantial uh the one i do like is the michael king one uh his finish with the yankees was really strong i know they've tried this a few times and there's grave health concern for sure as there is with literally every pitcher i don't care uh how safe they seem there's no such thing as a safe pitcher um but i'm interested in that one i like san diego picking him up in the juan soto deal and giving him a full go but then the other one is the Jordan Hicks one. Obviously, again, major, major injury risk that's really plagued his entire career. And San Francisco is going to take a chance on him as a starter. He's not particularly expensive. So if you do like it, there are scenarios where I, I, I can at least understand it. But I'm not chasing him. I'm just not sure what kind of innings workload we can really expect out of him. Um, you know, even, even though he's only 27. What's his max innings in a season, like 75 or so? Michael King doesn't have a huge max himself, but he's a little bit older. You know, he's going into his age 29 season. I don't know that San Diego has to be super cautious with him. 
I think there's a real chance that Michael King could do more of the CJ Wilson and jump right in with, you know, upwards of 162 plus innings, which of course is the minimum needed to qualify for the ERA title. He's also coming off 105 last year too, which does make that easier. So kind of both ends of the spectrum there. And I think you have to judge them case by case. Yeah, those are the two examples that I can think of for uh, heading into this year. We saw Cole Reagans last year, who yes. really uh, jumped up from you know one role to the other. Actually, he even got better as a starter. Typically, you actually see a little bit of a skills degradation. It's about a 17% uh, reduction in skills going from bullpen to the starter. So when you start off with an absolutely fantastic bullpen guy, and then you go into a starter— the 17% reduction, they're still really good as a starter. Uh, but uh, Reagan's was a special case. I mean, yeah, the, it, to me, it's a source for guys. I mean, we saw guys in the past. Remember Adam Wainwright, Chris Sale yeah. started out. How about Spencer Strider? He started uh, out as a bullpen Strider's guy. a great one. Uh, Johan Santana back in the day, for naming some old ones, he kind of made that transition. That was back when it was a little bit more common, too. The Strider one's a great one. That's the probably the most recent superstar turn there um, outside of Reagan's. In and Reagan's again, like you said, was a special case because yes, he was bad in the bullpen with Texas, but he was still working his way back from his second TJ, just kind of getting his velo back, figuring things out. And if I can, if I can to my own horn a little bit, I had him on my my breakout pitchers to watch last year, never expecting that he would be this good this fast. Uh, but I thought Texas had something with him. I was kind of surprised when they dealt him. Of course, he took off with KC, and now he is, you know, one of the hottest tickets going in fantasy drafts. If you want him this year, you got to pay up for Cole. And I got to be honest, I'm willing to make that that payment. I, I quite like him. Amazing that they dealt Cole Reagans. They had uh, Jacob DeGrum on the shelf all year, pretty much, and they still won the World Series. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it just shows you never really know, right? Like we, 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 we try to do the best we can, try to predict things, and we say if, 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 if this happens, if this happens. If I told you at the beginning of the year, okay, DeGrom's going to do virtually nothing for them, and they're going to trade away this one-time big prospect uh, for a role this Chapman, and he's going to have an ace turn with KC. How does Texas do this year? You say, I don't know, the middling, <laughs> decent little offense, who knows? And, you know, once you get in the dance, you never know. But that's the whole thing. That's the whole thing with if, 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 when a pitcher changes from a reliever to a starter, you don't know how many innings are going to go. You don't know if they're going to mm -hmm. work out because usually a reliever has one or two good pitches. When they become a starter, they need to develop a third one and sometimes even a fourth one. And sometimes the third and fourth ones, those second, the tertiary pitches, they're just not going to, you know, get batters out. They're going to be big meatballs out there. They have to really have an idea that they're, you know, they're going to go forward and they're going to be able to help the team as a starter as opposed to reliever because they can always revert back to reliever. I can see Jordan Hicks exactly. not not working out as a starter and he can always go back to become a reliever. Yeah, and that wouldn't be a problem for San Francisco and that's probably why they're saying, hey, let's at least give it a shot. He is just 27. His upside is super rich because of the insane talent that he has. His arm talent is off the charts. And, you know, provided he doesn't get hurt, which is never a guarantee. By the way, also not a guarantee when they relieve. The idea that you would relieve somebody to protect them from injury is, is a major fallacy. I, I, relievers might not get hurt as much, but they get hurt plenty. If you're pitching, you are at risk. So I respect San Francisco for doing it. It's just that on the fantasy landscape, I don't know what kind of payoff we could get this year that would really entice me because I think even if things go well, I still think they're going to be pretty tight on Jordan Hicks's innings. Do you like what San Francisco is doing with the with the, their team? I mean, the the pitching no. they they <laughs> got Robbie Ray, but they gave up a couple of starters and they're signing a couple of random hitters. What, what yeah, what's going on? I think they're trying to recapture the magic of twenty one. 
um, where you know they kind of put this smorgasbord team together and it yielded 107 wins. Everything worked out. You know, all of the platoons were clicking perfectly. They had this team of kind of you know journeymen, uh, you know, veteran types that all clicked right that whole lineup outside of i I think it was stephen duggar and lamont wade were the only two guys under 30 or wilmer flores too so uh maybe a couple others but like the bulk of the lineup was mid 30s and first off just betting on a lineup like that is dangerous of course gosman was a stud that was great so was webb so they had two legit guys anthony descalfani did well like they had some things working they have some good pieces now, but not enough. I just don't see how they get there. Outside of Webb, it is such a wide open landscape with their pitching, and I, I'm just not terribly confident in it, if I'm being honest. Even if you want to say, okay, Kyle Harrison could break out, figure out his command a little bit, and Hicks gives them, uh, let's be real generous and say 120 quality innings, I still would not be terribly confident in them because what are you getting throughout the rest of the rotation? And where are you going to backfill the innings when Hicks is done? Because, again, I don't see a world where you can get to a buck 80 or anything close to that. So, no, I don't really like it. And they have such an uphill battle. Obviously, the Dodgers are the king of the mountain. The D-backs are World Series runner up, runners-up last year. And even the Padres, I know things are a mess there. I like them, I don't know, 10 times better than the Giants team right now. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, they definitely have things to figure out. You know, we mentioned uh, uh, Texas. I'm actually heading there. Uh, I booked my tickets even before uh, I knew they won the World Series. I'm heading there the first week of April. I'm actually going to be there to see the uh, solar eclipse. Oh, that's uh, amazing. Are, are you in range of, uh, to see it, by the way, where you, where you are, Paul? I believe we're relatively close, or we could certainly make the maneuver to, to go check it out. So we might have to look uh, deeper into that being here in Austin. So well, You should um, definitely go. It's uh, I have to say that I went to the one in Nashville. Uh, well, uh, you could go many places, but I went in Nashville mm-hmm. back in 17. It is a once-in-a-lifetime thing if, if you ever want to see something in well, the Well, twice in a lifetime for you, Aaron. Well, t- yes, twice. But <laughs> it, it's something that you should do once in a lifetime at least. You know, there are some- Especially being so close, right? Like, you know, being that we are in Texas, while it is difficult right. to go anywhere in Texas versus, say, on the, like, uh, on the, the East Coast where you can drive a couple hours and go through a few states. you got to drive usually like six or seven hours to get out of Texas if you're anywhere in the middle of it. But that being said, I, I think we should look into that and see see about going and checking it out because it does sound pretty amazing. I remember people talking about it in 17, saying how incredibly cool it was. Yeah, definitely worth it. See, we do not just fantasy baseball in this show. We do some basic astronomy. <laughs> That's <here>. right. <laughs> there you go. All right, let's go back to the pitching. Now, we talked about you know uh, the relief pitchers and maybe places where you can find uh, a star. What what are, in general, are some red flags for pitchers that, that come up that you see, oh, well, they, they exhibited this last year? Or, or maybe when you're watching them in spring training, what's a red flag that, that comes up that you might be concerned about? Well, certainly a a velocity drop is going to catch my eye. Once you start creeping, you know, over about a mile and a half, uh, then I really want to investigate and see what's going on there because that can usually be a first indicator of um, some uh, a potential injury. And so obviously everything kind of centers around injury. Is this guy going to be healthy? Also, when you're talking about spring training, are they making their innings thresholds? If the team says, you know, he's supposed to get three innings, I don't necessarily care how the three innings go, but if they hit their thresholds, they get their pitches in and then they're done, that's fine with me. But if they're coming up short, uh, either because the team, you know, takes them out because things just weren't working very well, or they got their butts kicked so badly that they had to come out, 
then I'm going to start to be concerned with that. Uh, and this one's less of a, a red flag, more of maybe like a yellow flag. If they're talking about some pitch that they're going to be throwing and we're getting all excited about it, and then you watch the game and they throw it, you know, 5% of the time, well, I'm going to cross that off as, as a new pitch. I want to I see that pitch being used but really it's the velo and hitting their thresholds that the team has laid out for them in terms of the workload that keeps me uh, comfortable within spring Ruvain, want to ask you because we had a, a bunch of injuries announced today with the orioles kyle bradish john means uh, to, so to name sad. two of them uh what 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 do you make of those if you hear and this is early in spring of course we're, we're you know four six weeks away from from opening day if you hear partially ucl tier oh he, he's not ready might not be open for open might not be ready for opening day how does that affect you in terms of whether you draft somebody or not well in those two cases first of all the kyle bradish thing he had a prp injection in january so this is not something relatively new he's known about this for a month and a half they just didn't have to announce anything so they mm -hmm. knew about this before everyone started drafting already, so and they don't have to tell anybody. That's the issue with these injuries. They don't have to tell anybody until uh, players start reporting. And when you start hearing that, yeah, he was a little sore over the winter, and he had to stop throwing, and this and that, and, and uh, even um, with John Means, he's still having soreness in his elbow from the surgery. Those things I'm, I'm very concerned about because that soreness can linger. They can get through it, but it usually means a delayed start. They'll have like an like a they'll they'll stay in, down in spring training for an extra month. They'll do extended spring training for a little bit. They try to get you know try to get their feet under their under them again and try to make them get going. But I'm whenever I hear that stuff is going on in the off season and it's carrying over into spring training, that's when I'm getting concerned. When when pitchers say they have actual injuries during spring training, like general soreness, like um, a Justin Verlander, they said that he has some uh, some shoulder issue. We don't even know what it is, but yet he threw a he. Threw a, a pit, he threw a, a what's called a bullpen today. So you hear this stuff. You have to take everything with a grain of salt because the teams don't want to let out too much information, and we try to get as much information as we can to make educated decisions during the draft. But a lot of the information we have is not necessarily complete. So you can't really go by 100% unless you hear MRI and you know something's wrong and you know what the treatment plan is, then there's no way you can actually bet on these pictures because you don't know. All these pictures are a crapshoot. John Means, where he's going right now, who's going for like $1, $2 equivalent value, you can take that risk because he's a guy you can keep on your bench, something like that. But a guy like Kyle Bradish, that's a really red flag. Justin Verlander, it's not as much as a red flag because he's, he's an older pitcher. So you kind of expect these type of things and all these quote unquote possible injuries should be baked into your projections before the, before you start drafting. Yeah. Um, Paul, what are, green flags that you can spot uh especially in spring training oh their strikeout rate jumped or what, what are some things yep. that say oh actually pay more attention to this guy well you know everyone says like the kind of throwaway line in the fantasy world is spring training stats don't mean anything and that of course overstates it that is not true you're going to miss out potential possible good information by just throwing it all away and washing your hands a bit. Um, just go back to the basics, strikeouts and walks on both sides. Really, I know we're talking pitchers, but even if I see a, a hitter improving their strikeout and walk rates, I'm impressed. But specifically with pitchers, that's the first thing I'm gonna be looking at. They're spiking their strikeout rate up, you know, several percentage points off of their established level. I am interested in that. I wanna see what's going on there. Oh, it's a velo boost. Oh, it's a new pitch. Oh, it's both. Wow, now I'm really intrigued. And of course we will get data on that 
that and and stories on that usually when it's something that stark but really just the core strikeouts and walks i want to see what's going on uh, also kind of like who they're doing it against the best i can kind of glean you know if they're pitching the middle the late innings then you gotta you gotta shave those numbers down and baseball reference does a great job of kind of giving a value to the um, competition that players are facing in spring to give you a better idea so that you're not overrating somebody who's just blown away a bunch of guys who are going to be in double a at the beginning of the year uh, as opposed to the guys who start the games and pitch in the early innings against the actual major leaguers but yeah like i said as basic as it gets back to the basics with strikeouts and walks those are something that i'm really going to look at kind of see where the rates are for players and if their velo is up yeah and for me i think it's more strikeouts than the walks if i had to for choose sure. one or the other yeah yes because also if they are working on that new pitch and they're just you know they're literally being directed you know throw it 10 times this game we don't really care if it's 10 balls but you got to throw it 10 times because we need to start seeing you use it exactly so don't weight the strikeouts way heavier than the walks particularly if you know that they're working on different things because they just might not care about the walks those might be not necessarily intentional but just ones that the team is even saying don't worry what you can walk that guy that's fine you're working on this changeup. you need to throw it 15 times out of these 50 pitches today type of deal so that's a great great tag on there and what's what's very interesting is that and at national spring training they have a sign that says we don't care how fast ball four was which is very interesting because <laughs> they want yes. it they don't care about the velocity as much as command i think the command is the most important thing especially if you're a young pitcher if you don't show command and there are other young pitchers behind you there's a good chance that they can lose their job if they can't control it they'll be sent back down to triple a to work on stuff and then the other pitch will be brought up so you have to watch out for that also great call and if I'm not mistaken, I believe Fangraphs are going to be having spring training stats on the site. Is that true, Paul? Yes, we can already see them right now um, up, up there at the top where you would normally click on uh, minor league and, and postseason stuff, uh, those little tabs there. You can now see spring training numbers from the history. And of course, we will have this year's as well. And that's super, super useful to at least get that spot check on. You know, I have my own custom dashboard there with the strikeout and walk rates. So I'll be looking right away to see how those are going for players uh, and how they compare to their established norms. I can't imagine anybody listening to the show here doesn't look at fan graphs on a very regular basis. But if you, if you hadn't before for spring training, Oh boy, this is a big addition in my opinion. So I agree. Th- there you go. And we mentioned the, the older pitchers, and I want to get your take on it, Paul. Uh, you know, h- how do you value the these older aging pitchers? Because they're really not like anyone else. And we're talking about the guys like Scherzer and Verlander, mm-hmm. uh, Rich Hill. You know, guys have lasted so long. And you know, when when you're talking about uh, you know aging curves. It doesn't include all the guys who have dropped out of baseball because they ain't no good to even be there. Like you, you don't see skills degradation for a lot of people that old because they aren't in baseball anymore. So you right. de- survivor te- bias. Yeah, survivor bias is the technical term. That's correct. So you know, how do you evaluate him? I mean, are you expecting Verlander to drop off in skills? Are you expecting Scherzer to do so? For me, it's more a question of are they going to stay healthy? Because usually when they're here, they're performing. 
Exactly. I think you nailed it there where it's all about that that health piece, which it is really for all pitchers. But of course, the older you get, the more susceptible you are. And I think Jeff Zimmerman's uh, research on that has shown that basically in your mid 30s, 34, 35, there, there is no guarantee of kind of an ease of your skills degradation. You can drop off a cliff at that point. Of course, you can at any point, but it's much more likely once you hit the mid 30s. And one of the things that Justin and I talk a lot about on the sleeper and the bust is fantasy baseball is in very ageist game and you know we say that as kind of a a tongue-in-cheek sort of joke it's true but it's also for good reason right because the older players are the more likely they are to fall off like that so it makes sense to be careful with them however it can create pockets of value and there are guys that are definitely unicorns and you name my favorite pitcher ever justin verlander and i have to separate sometimes the heart from the head there where i want to make sure that i'm not just overrating a guy because he's been my favorite pitcher forever um but understanding that you know at age 41 dealing with a little bit of a bulky shoulder okay sure be mindful of that but a lot of people will probably overreact to that one of the things that you see on a day like today and this is being recorded on february 15th for anybody listening to it later um the news that we got today will likely be overreacted to. And the only one I don't think you can overreact to is Bradish. I, I, he's kind of off my board at this point because I, I don't know that he's going to drop far enough. And th- this is coming from somebody who loves Kyle Bradish. So I'm I'm really broken up about this. This really, really stinks. But he was a top 100 pick. He's going to drop a bit, but unless he drops to like, I don't know, 300 or 400, I'm just not going to take that risk. But somebody like Verlander going around pick 124, I think this shoulder could push him down 30, 40 picks. His max pick over the last 41 drafts, which is the over the last month of data uh, in draft champions, was 150. I think he could start to sit around there and push even further. So you can create some pockets of value here, and you can you can actually benefit by investing in some of these old guys. Now, you don't want to go crazy with it, but you Darvish has picked 200. If you Darvish through 175 good innings this year, would anybody really be surprised? It might not be the, the Matt main expectation at his age but no one would be surprised so i usually like to get uh an oldie or two because i think that they can they can present a lot of upside one of the problems in the fantasy community i think is uh we only attribute upside to youth right because what what hasn't a guy done i think there's upside on on rebounding and, and you know regressing back to the mean particularly say take the darvish example 456 era 130 whip last year He's a 359, 114 career guy, and he was around, or actually was better than both of those numbers back just in 2022. And we get so focused on the year before that all of a sudden you Darvish is pick 200. I grant that he's age 37. For me, it's does the cost fully, you know, uh take into account the age there yes more than enough for me at pick 200 his age is covered if he flops i'm not losing my draft because of that i will gladly take somebody like you darvish and like i said verlander at 124 is a little dicey now that he's got this injury i expect there to be a pretty sharp reaction to it and i will gladly start picking up some shares of him at 150 160 and beyond Oh yeah, I mean, once you you talk about the it, it, it's about the outlay. It's about are you investing that much at a two dollar, mm-hmm. three dollar pick, a low late round pick? Uh, you know, you want guys who have the ability to have high upside, and so a Darvish, that type of player, is is, is a fantastic 
thing to do. Uh, but remember, Dar- Darvish, Darvish also had the bone spur in the elbow, and he had no. He, they're saying he has no restrictions going into spring training, and he, we didn't hear anything about surgery. So he is also always a 37 year old with a possible injury risk on top of that. So, and I'm glad you brought him up because I was going to bring up saying that he's possibly the guy that you want to, even though you can get a bargain on him, you could probably stay away from because he is. A, he could be like a ticking time bomb. He can get injured. He certainly can. And I think you have to decide, is pick 200 enough to take on that time bomb? And for some, they'll say, absolutely not. I'm fully staying away. For me, with somebody like Darvish, who you know I have a lot of positive experience with in the past, and you got to be careful not to let that cloud you too much. But that is that is a spot where I'm still okay with it. Now, if he, if he comes out, throws a few big starts early in spring and starts matriculating up to, say, 130, 140, well, then all of a sudden all bets are off because that, I, I agree at that point that it becomes a bit too expensive for me because I don't care how good his spring is, Darvish will still be a risk throughout the year at age 37 coming off 136 innings. So it's always about that cost and it can be as fine as one round difference takes me from in to out or out to in type of deal. Yeah, I mean, late in the game, everybody is going to have warts. You're going to have bad performance warts. You're going to have risky players. So, you know, at past a certain threshold, you, anybody is a pretty good example if they can exhibit that they have the upside to go. And next question for you, um, Paul. You said that Justin Verlander is your favorite pitcher. Is Kate Upton your favorite supermodel? Absolutely. Even before she got with Kate Upton, I mean, she's beautiful. She's hilarious. She still has one of the greatest tweets ever uh, when Rick Porcello stole that Cy Young from uh, Justin Verlander. And this is a, a, a G or PG rated podcast, so I won't say it, but everyone either remembers it or they can go look it up. But yeah, she's she seems wonderful. Obviously, I don't know her, but she's uh, beautiful, seems cool and married Justin. So how, how bad could she be? There you go. It's fantasy baseball astronomy and supermodels on this podcast. <laughs> all right. Uh, now, we talked about old pitchers, but what about foreign pitchers? And this means a lot because there are some very high-priced or high-valued-by-the-market players this year that are coming in. We're talking about Yamamoto, who he's going, what, fifth round or some crazy thing yeah. like that? Showed it in Managa, also going pretty high. Question is, how do you value them? Now, if you take a look at ATC's interstandard deviation metric, which shows uh, how disparate the projections are from one another, they're ginormous for those two. Yamamoto, a 7.6 inter SD. I mean, he has ERA's range from three up to four and a half and whips yeah. from under one to 1.3. If you look at Shota Imanaga, um, some. <laughs> Some proje- Zips will say that he's the best thing since sliced bread. Derek Cardi's the bat will tell you that, that the Cubs should have signed Ariel Cohen to pitch for them. By um, the way, those are, <laughs> uh, just to interject quickly, those are the same two disparities on Yamamoto, where Zips yeah. is very positive and the bat is much more cautious. Uh, so, you know, depending on which one you align with, it's probably going to determine a lot of where you are on these foreign pitchers. Yeah, so the question is, how do you deal with that? I mean, obviously, ATC takes some sort of a middle road, which might mean that we're out on Yamamoto because, you know, somebody in the room is going to say, wow, I want that upside pitchers for the Dodgers. Mm -hmm. Of course, these are very specific cases because going to the Dodgers means something, going to the Cubs means something. Yamamoto, obviously, is a world-class pitcher at this point. So how do you deal with those two players specifically? And in general, how do you deal with evaluating foreign pitchers in all? 
I've certainly been open to to taking the gamble on them in the past. You know, it's, it's always a case by case basis. Where are they coming from? You know, what what are they bringing? What were they doing? Were they in the Japanese league? Were they in the KBO? Uh, because those have a little bit of disparity in terms of their quality of competition. What sort of numbers did they put up? You know, Yamamoto was the best pitcher going over there. Maybe maybe number two to Sasaki, depending on how you rank him. But he's coming over at age 25. This is a new thing that we're dealing with too, is guys are coming over younger. For the longest time, they were coming over in their early to mid 30s. So it's a totally different story. And so the prices are gonna be lower. Um, expectations are lower. You, you could kind of take those gambles a bit more freely on your Hiroki Kurodas um, and, and guys of that nature. But now you really have to invest. And you mentioned Yamamoto. This has gotta be the highest we've ever Ever seen somebody go I don't even think Otani was going this early the uh day one yeah I, I might be wrong I can't remember his very no first he wasn't going ADP, like no but he, he was not going pick 56 as far as I remember with a min of 25 over the last month for Yamamoto but at us at the same point I do get it because again I don't believe in the idea of safety with pitchers um particularly on the health front but even on the performance front like there so give me the best talent that's out there and yes the transition will be difficult um, i mean heck they play with a different ball for crying out loud so that that right there is a big transition but even if you start to regress yamamoto's skills pretty severely it's it, capable of seeing how he could be a stud now all of that said there's other guys in that range that I'm not necessarily seeking Yamamoto out, but I'm not completely running away from him. I, I'm open to these gambles because when it comes to pitching, again, I don't think anybody um, is gamble free, is risk free. So why not potentially get one of the best pitchers on one of the best teams? Now, generally, I do follow the Glenn Colton and Rick Wolf rule of you know kind of allowing a transition year on a big deal. Now that's usually what they're talking about is um, you know say Blake Snell signs a seven year deal with a new team this year, something like that within the majors this is kind of outside of that but i think it's it's tangentially related a guy coming clear across the world to become mr pitcher with the dodgers you know the the, the it guy maybe just allow a year for him to transition and kind of figure things out you know we look at sanga with with your mets last year and he got started and it wasn't going so well early on but then he kicked it into high gear as the season got on and absolutely took off. And I don't know how related it is to Yamamoto. I mean, it's not really related, but I wonder if that's giving some folks some extra confidence, right? They just saw somebody come over and dominate with less fanfare. I mean, he 30 years old, not, not to the same level of Yamamoto, but he came over and absolutely dominated here in our league. Why can't Yamamoto do it? And so obviously that's got people pushing him way up, up and up. I gotta be honest, I'd rather Yamamoto at pick 56 than his new teammate, Tower Glass now, um, around earlier, around pick 40, which I don't know, at, at least we've seen Yamamoto. I mean, we haven't seen, I, I, don't, I don't have the capability of watching Japanese baseball, but he has, three full seasons under his belt and two others that are pretty high all five of those seasons are at least 127 innings which is seven more than tower glass now has ever pitched and he's five years younger so i'd much rather take yamamoto than somebody like glass now and as for Iminaga, he's picked 200 yes he brings his own set of risk i could see him more of like a mid-tier he he does kind of cut more of like that that hiroki kuroda figure where he's going to be like probably a four type but that's fine at pick 200 i don't mind that and there is a world where he comes over and kind of takes the league by storm and i can get a little upside there so i'm i'm open to both of them i have not sought out either of them in my early drafts well, 
you're, that being said, are you more comfortable taking a foreign pitcher coming to league or a foreign hitter, like yes. a, like a Jung-Hoo Lee? Pitcher. Pitcher Absolute by far? Pitcher. Um, by, by a good bit, yes. That said, I, I want to, you know, if I if I can pat myself on the back a little bit, before he signed, I took Jung-Hoo Lee with the last pick in a gladiator, um, just on, on the off chance that he would sign. You know, he was posted. Like, we knew he was almost certainly coming over, barring something falling through. But I was really proud of that pick because um, I kind of discovered him. I learned about him through the game Out of the Park Baseball. Um, you know, they have all players including from overseas and as you're playing out your simulation guys will come over from overseas and jung Lee came over his nickname i don't know if you guys are familiar with is the grandson of grandson of wind which is an amazing nickname by the way it's related obviously to his grandfather and so i i kind of learned about him i studied up on him so i kind of knew about him a little couple years ago before things really started percolating for him to come over so Jung-Hoo Lee specifically I'm pretty intrigued by and I'm, I'm very interested in but generally on the hitters I'm a little bit more cautious uh Hassan Kim was somebody I was in on and I bought in early that kind of burned me I mean the price wasn't too too big but he was really bad that first year with hitters I really do want to allow that transition year whereas with pitchers I don't know I think it's just if, if you can pitch that's going to translate quicker than hitting. I think hitting is so different over here versus overseas that I want to see the guy do it for a year before I really dive in. Yeah, I tend to agree. And I think the, we've seen the hit rate on the foreign pitchers much higher than the mm-hmm. hit rate on the foreign hitters. So I, I tend to agree on that. Strategy question for you in terms of this is a rotisserie question. Uh, what is your general thought on the split of you got nine pitchers in a standard roto? of splitting between starting pitchers, middle relievers, and closers for you, Paul? I generally go like a 6-3 six, six, setup and then maybe a 2-1, two, two closers, and then and then usually like a spec. I mean, you're going to be hard-pressed to get three closers these days without investing a ton of draft capital. And so, you know, a lot of times I am running 7-2 with two premium closers because I like to pay for saves. I do not like the rat race of saves in season. I think everyone underestimates the fab capital and just the the attention to it that you have to spend every week. And I just don't really want to play that game. I want to focus elsewhere. And hey, sometimes you draft an Edwin Diaz and you know a crazy fluke happens. And so you're back in the rat race anyway. I'm not saying I, I never have to get in there. But I will say the last several years of paying for saves has served me very well. And if you look at the data, the top closers have had a really, really strong hit rate. So I prefer to pay so I can try to get closer to that 7-2. But generally, I'm going to have the ability, like on reserve, let's say NFBC, because we, we play a lot of NFBC, both of us. Um, I will have that guy, that that Jeff Hoffman, that Shelby Miller. Those are two guys I like this year to maybe uh, yoink some saves. But whoever it is, that setup guy, I will have them on the reserve and they'll bounce in and out of my lineup sometimes either when I think they can get some saves or even just as some ratio help with strikeouts and I'll run the six two six starters two closers one middle reliever but generally I probably run the seven two more often than not with seven starters and two top of the line or at least second tier type closers and to be clear we're talking about 15 team leagues here because if you're yes. in a 10 to 12 team then you do want three closers running yes pretty much at Absolutely. all times Ruvain, uh, what what is your general thought I think I'm going 6-3. I want six starters, 
two closers and a middle reliever. I think the middle reliever can always slide in as a closer, and I, especially early in the season, I want to have good ratios. I want to make sure my ratios don't get destroyed by the starters. So I'm going to pick and choose when I want to have those six starters going, and I want to have that middle reliever guy on the bench just in case. Yes, it, I've, it's come to the, the point where I feel like every year I'm drafting a middle reliever somewhere, you know, mid in, in the mid in the mid twenty rounds just to have it because they are so valuable. Because pitchers go down, you, you you turn around and all of a sudden your pitcher's down. You don't have you need to pick up another pitcher. You don't like it on the waiver wire, but you have this middle relief guy. He's not going to kill you. He may get pick a vulture a save, may vulture a win. So I think for me it's more of a six three split. Yeah, so in terms of uh, you, you do want something around a six three six two one something like that. Uh, with the innings going down in all of baseball, middle relievers are worth something. Take a guy like Brian Abreu, Absolutely. who we know is not going to get a single save this year, or uh, shouldn't get too many saves with uh, uh, the pecking order of Presley and then of course Hater. But yeah, might his... get a random like three inning save if they're just letting him mop yeah. up something with uh, you know a six run lead or something. Go ahead. Or I'm sorry. or they're both not available, you know. Yeah, but yeah, something like that. But he had 100 strikeouts last year. Uh, I don't care what league you play in, 100 strikeouts with a sub-2 ERA over 70 innings. That mm. plays, folks. Uh, no doubt. So he is a, definitely worth playing. So yeah, you do want a, a middle reliever. At least have one on your on your roster because then you gauge every single week. If you have terrible matchups, you're going to want to play that middle reliever, maybe even two, and go to five. If you've got great matchups, go to seven starters. Now, I mentioned that's how I would... Uh, that's how I would play it each week. But drafting-wise, I want for sure six starters. I want for sure two relievers. And then that seventh, the the, uh, the seventh starter or the third middle reliever, it really depends on how your roster shakes out. If you've got shaky closers, grab another closer and have three closers for your, for your top nine. If you've got shaky starters, do the opposite. Grab a seventh pitcher, even if you're not planning to, plan him, planning to play him every single week. Absolutely agree. All right, let's get into the player pool before we talk about some of the undervalued players. We we went through uh, last week with Nick Pollock, uh, our general starting pitcher observations, just to uh, throw them out. You got two elite starters at the top in Strider and Cole. It's really muddy at the top between starters number, let's say, three and number 19. You've got like a $7 difference between those, so you don't have to overstuff it all that early once those super elite pitchers go. Uh, and then I do see a cliff in projections, at least, uh, after pitch, pitcher number 80, where you get really uncertainty in the innings or uncertainty in performance. It, it's a bigger dive. Obviously, there's going to be diamonds in the rough later on, some that won't even be drafted, but projections at least say it's after 80. What are your general uh, starting pitcher observations? Yeah, I, I see a lot of that similarly. Um, I think with all this young pitching that has risen up, there's going to be some some major hits if you don't get that first or second round pitcher. The problem is there's going to be a lot of misses too. I can't remember where I saw it, and it was so long ago at this point that it really bothers me that I don't have the, the details on it. But there was a study basically on kind of, say, SP, like 15 to 35 or 40. So that general range, right? The, the guys like the who's next type of guys. And it was found to be a very, very treacherous field uh, because those guys, you know, a good example of that, and like I said, I love this guy until the injury today. Uh, a good example of that is somebody like a Kyle Bradish um, or even like a Yuri Perez, somebody that people are very excited about. I totally get it, but that can be a fraught zone. Think about uh, Dylan Cease last year. 
right? Coming into last year, coming off of his gigantic season, there was expectations that, hey, he has arrived. He is a stud. Well, not so fast. As good as his year was in 2022, it was equally as bad in 2023. Where will he be this year? Probably somewhere in the middle, which is where a lot of the projections are suggesting. Um, so if I don't get one of, say, my top 10-ish, um, then I... I tend to want to wait because of that that study that I saw. And again, I wish I I had uh, you know details on it so I could either update it or see if the person who wrote it updated. It might have been an HQ in the forecast, or maybe I need I should read the front. This I have not read the uh, the front articles this year, which is something I usually really enjoy during the winter. But I've been very busy. But I I get nervous there, so I generally want to get my ace up front. And then kind of wait and really play in what I call the glob, which is just the, the giant litter of pitchers that everyone has to kind of figure out what they want to do with that. And that can start, again, as, as early as like pitcher 30 and go down to like pitcher 80. Normally, we think that that's like a huge gap between pitchers. But when you really start breaking down the talent, it, it really isn't. Um, it, it's just that somebody has to be, you know, you got to rank them in order. You can't rank everybody 35th, right? So somebody has to be 35th, somebody has to be 75th. And so I really like to play in the glob there and kind of figure out the guys I like. I like to attack the glob. Some people like to let it come to them, meaning they'll take what's left because the pitchers are pretty similar. I like to go out and get my guys there. So I do like to get an established ace if I can, but I will not do that if I can't get the ace closer first. So like, I'd rather take a Josh Hader than like a Luis Castillo, who I really like, just because I feel like I can find the starting pitching better than I can find the saves. And as I mentioned earlier, I don't want to play the saves rat race. So today we're talking about the lower tiers of pitchers. We did the top tier with Nick Pollock in our part one. So before we get into the actual undervalued players, what are some of the characteristics of the player or maybe even pick off certain stats that you would see of, we're talking about the glob or the, the lower tiered pitchers that you mm -hmm. look for in picking? Is it going to be uh, somebody who's maybe coming into more innings than they have before? So that's a rise. Maybe they've shown a strikeout rate increase, a walk rate decrease. Maybe they had a, had a, had a fantastic second half last year. Like what are the, some of the things that you uh, look at? I mean, you're nailing a bunch of them there uh, specifically, you know, if, if I have them projected for more innings than, than the projections do, you know, because sometimes projections don't always get those innings jumps that guys could have. And listen, sometimes I overshoot it too and think like, oh, this guy's ready to emerge and be a full-time guy. And he's not, right? We all have our misses. But I think that's a pocket where I can really find some value there because the guy's being depressed coming off of like back-to-back 130-inning -back seasons. And I think it's time for him to make the leap to a buck 80. That can be a big zone. And then of course, just again, get back to the basics with the strikeouts. Get what's going on with the swinging strike rate. Does he have a true swing and miss pitch? Is he kind of one skill away where he needs to figure out the, um, uh, you know, he needs to figure out his command or his changeup? That can be interesting. I also love the guys whose talent is there. But the injury piece needs to be figured out. And I think, well, didn't you just say you don't like Tyler Glass now? Well, yeah, because I don't want to pay pick 40 for that when the health is the concern. When we're talking about pick, you know, 180, 220, that's a bit different. When everything is in line, all the skills are there. We've seen it, but we've only seen it in glimpses. And I just need them to stay healthy. I like betting on that profile because while health is very risky, as I've been mentioning throughout, 
I don't believe that there's there's much safety in pitchers. Everyone's one pitch away. I know that sounds like a little trite phrase of like, oh, everyone's one pitch away, but it's so true, right? Even the steadiest guys can go down. So I like to look for those profiles that the skills are fully set. I just need to get some health luck. Now, I don't want to put five, six of those guys on my team, but I will put two, maybe three of them. And I, I feel pretty confident that at least one of them will come through. And sometimes they can kind of, their surplus value is enough to cover the other two guys that missed. Moving, anything to add before we go on? Yeah, I think you have to look at their pedigree also. Look what they've done in the minors. Were, mm-hmm. they, a tra- were, were they a top draft pick? If they've pitched five, six, seven innings in the minors, you can expect that, and, and that's what you're looking for. You At the end, of the, the end of the rotation, guys, you want innings. You want the opportunity to get wins because these are the guys not only are you drafting, but you're going to be picking up on the waiver wire during the season, and you need to make sure that these are the guys that are going to go five, six, seven innings. So even if you don't get them draft day, keep those names in mind because you need to know the pedigree, the top draft picks who are going to be brought up like the Grayson Rodriguez last year you need to know these guys so you're able to jump on them be able to get them mid-season even during the draft I'm a big pedigree guy I do like that I know some people kind of moved away from that uh, but that matters to me and how often do we see a guy that you know was a first round pick didn't do anything for two three years finally starts coming around you're like yeah see it takes some time with somebody but the team stuck with them too because that's another thing too the team will give more chances right or wrong they will give more chances to a guy with that pedigree so that's a great call out Ruvain so, on our show, we do the ATC undervalued players. Unlike some other shows, especially Sleeper in the Bus, who, if, by the way, if you're not listening to Sleeper in the Bus, you're not doing this right here. Uh, fantastic show. They go through everything, deep dive into all the players. Um, just turn it on and, and let uh, Paul and Justin uh, take you home there. Uh, but what we don't do is we don't do all the deep dives in every player. We do strategy, and we also, of course, we, we want to talk about some players. We like to circle on the ones that ATC has dubbed against the market currently as a perceived value. Now, it doesn't mean that we're going to blindly just pick them because ATC says they're a bargain. That's why we do the deep dives, but we're looking for the diamonds in the rough from what ATC suggests could be a bargain. First one here in our lower tier section, Jordan Montgomery, who's currently a free agent, and maybe that's the reason for the bargain because often pitchers, um, once they sign with the team, their price tag goes up, so maybe that's part of the reason. But Jordan Montgomery is going as an $11 auction equivalent player in a 15-team 5x5 Roto League. The market value for that is $9 going in the end of the 10th round. He's somebody that he had a great year last year, although uh, the skills actually took a little bit of a hit from the previous year. Um, his strikeouts aren't fantastic. He, uh, I mean, that Sierra was 423 last year, even though his ERA was 320. So, mm-hmm. you know, run higher. Uh, so obviously he was somewhat lucky. Question is, do you buy Jordan Montgomery? Is this the pitcher you're going for? The innings seem fairly stable, although. What the heck team is he going to be on? Is it going to be a good park, bad park? How, how are you feeling about Jordan Montgomery this year? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually in as well, you know, around pick 150 uh, over the last month here in Draft Champions. And you highlight the, the big reason here is because being unsigned creates a bargain. He will go up in price, obviously, unless he signs with like Colorado or something crazy like that. He's not that signing really, with Colorado. 
Exactly, because that would be a smart move by them, and they but don't they, do smart they, they have They have good schools. They have good, they have good they public have schools. Wonderful there, schools. I, I don't know if, if yeah. Jordan Montgomery and his wife or, or girlfriend uh, you know, have started uh, raising children, but yeah, they got those wonderful schools there. Just ask Mike Hampton. But I do like taking that bargain sometimes because, yeah, like if he goes, let's say he goes back to Texas, I think that price jumps up two rounds, 30 picks. These are 15 round, uh, 15 team leagues. So you'd be looking at probably something like a 30 pick jump up, which wouldn't take me out completely, but I certainly like Jordan Montgomery a lot more at pick 150. So I, I agree that's a good call. And one of the things that I do like, even though the Sierra did go up and I, I, I'm a Sierra guy, I, I like that call out there. He still didn't walk many guys. 6% is still very good. And even the 11% swing strike rate is right around league average. It was down from the 13, 14 that we've seen throughout his career but it, he can get that back but also i like that he cut the home runs and that helped mitigate some of the trouble that you would normally see by dropping your strikeout minus walk rate a couple points the way he did now if that goes back up then we need the the walks to come back down and and you know things to kind of get back on track there but i do like that he cut into those home runs and that's probably why he was able to have a run difference between his era and his sierra skill interactive era for those who don't know I mean, Baltimore's got to pick up the phone and, and just up their It'd offer right now, right? Such I mean, a good move. And good move for him, good move for the team. I mean, yeah, just, uh, totally agree. Anything to add, Ruben? Yeah, he gives innings. That's the thing. Last year he pitched 188 innings. The year before that he had 178 innings. He's already post-Tommy John, so I'm not as worried about that. So I'm not concerned about that. So if he's if he's a workhorse and he's going to play in a good team, see, it all depends where he lands, but he can wait, and he can wait even a little longer, another couple of weeks, more pitchers will get hurt. He can, yep. His asking price is going to go up. He's going to make more money if he waits longer. So is Blake Snell. They're going to just make more money because there's going to be more of a need out there. The pitchers, I mean, they're, gonna, they're not going to stay there for the entire spring and then they're going to be in, in April, May and they're not going to be signed. I don't think that's going to be the case. So he can wait and he may not be signed by the time you do your draft. So if you're getting him now at the value you're getting for 180, I can get 170 innings out of him. He's a workhorse. So I think he's a good buy. Yeah. He's he's not being not signed because teams don't like him. He's being signed because exactly. he's asking for too much money, you know. Um, but uh, I, I like he's him, a especially Boris at this client, price. So. You know, that that they got to just trust Boris to do his thing. He doesn't really steer his clients wrong more often than not. It's got to be nerve wracking. You know, if I was if I was Snell or um, Jordan Montgomery, I would be nervous about this. But you just got to trust your guy and, you know, hope that uh, Boris isn't going to treat you wrong. And I agree with Ruvain, you know. More teams are going to get injuries. It's it's the worst part of spring. We get so excited for spring to start, and then the injuries start pouring in. There will be a ton more, unfortunately. Very low ATC, interesting, and I, I do believe he has a high floor. I don't see the bottom dropping out of him, even if his ERA goes up three-quarters of a point. I, I, I can see a 3-9 a, a ERA, and the projections, it's still a bargain at yep. uh, at the price he's going. What about nasty Nestor Cortez, who was absolutely amazing. It was a $23 player in 2022, .92 whip. Uh, he was not himself last year. Let's just attribute the bad year to injury. Obviously, he only, only pitched uh, 63 innings, so he didn't make it. But if this is a guy who's going in the 18th round, we're talking a $2, $3 auction equivalent. Is this the kind of risk that we were talking about earlier that it's just right to take? Because his upside is $20, and projections have him at 130 innings, 130 strikeouts, sub-4 ERA. That's a huge bargain if he makes 130 innings. I mean, he doesn't have to even pitch that much for bargain. He can pitch 100 or 90 innings if it's at that kind of level. He's a big bargain. Is that someone you're taking a gamble on, Paul? 
Absolutely. This is exactly the kind of guy, you know, post pick 275 that you can really hit big on with Nestor Cortez because I think the community is overreacting a little bit to the washout season. You know, 63 innings, it didn't go well. Sure, but I don't know that his price should have fallen this far. And I will say, even though a 125 whip would never really jump out to you as good, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that it is, relative to a near 5 ERA, it is actually kind of good, right? So he wasn't putting on a ton of base runners. Uh, the home run rate had spiked and because he was just off. And I believe in Nestor Cortez, he still had an 18% strikeout minus walk, which was only two points lower than what he had seen in that breakout season. It's funny because I still remember him um, for that breakout season. I was very interested in him in my main event. That was the year I was in the main event with Jeff Zimmerman, uh, Justin Mason, Dalton Del Don, Scott Jenstead. It was a murderous wow. row. And I had literally just circled Nestor Cortez on my page. And it was three rounds above ADP, I believe. I was like, okay, I got to jump. I'm going to get my guy. And Jeff Zimmerman and his partner, Tanner Bell, took him from me. And I ran over to him. I was like, I can't believe you. This was in Vegas. I was like, I can't believe you took him early. I thought here I was, you know, going out on a limb, taking him three rounds early. And it was around this pick area. So, yeah, I am back in. And this is what I talk about with veterans having upside, right? We don't think of upside from a 29-year-old Nestor Cortez who's you know been around for a while now but he absolutely does because he could get back to 2022 levels and 2022 levels by that i mean take his innings 158 and his sierra 348 not necessarily the 244 nobody's projecting him for 244 but if you give me a mid threes with a low ones whip for like you said uh ariel even 100 110 innings i have him at a four era and he's a huge bargain at a four era yeah that's still value that, do you know how many good starts you have to have to put up a four ERA? i think that's an underrated thing too because at 278 you don't even have to use cortez all the time either so if you were spotting him and kind of you know figuring out some good spots to maybe sit him you could milk his four era down to you know a 360 and, and you get the get replacement level of some middle reliever that you put in also yeah. exactly so yeah I, I'm I'm in on Cortez here. Yeah, you, any different, Ruvain? No, but I will give the medical update. He was out with a rotator cuff strain. He's he said he's already thrown four live batting practices this spring. He has no limitations. He only had twelve starts last year. Last one in August, and I think he was pushing himself too much last year. I think he tried to play through injury, and that's why Agreed. he got hurt worse because he, Carlos Rodon was out. Remember last year, so he had to be the number two behind Garrett Cole, and the Yankees had high expectations. So he was pushing himself. The fact that he pushed himself, he probably got hurt, and he probably got hurt worse, and that's why he missed so much time. He is a great bounce back candidate, and in round 18, it's a no-brainer because he can have a 10th round value. He can have a ninth round value. Does the mustache play at all into this? I find that mustache guys <laughs> generally have a lower whip. I mean, like Miles Michaelis, look at that. He's a whip guy. <laughs> Paul, Does that play Paul, into it? Yeah, Paul, can you answer this, please? Yeah, absolutely. I got my little dirt stash out here. I, you know, it, it pales in comparison to Nestor Cortez, but does it make me more partial to mu the mustachioed guys out there? Absolutely. Now, you might get a, a a rough whip if you trust one of the better mustaches in the league, which is Dylan Ceases. So it can go both ways there, but maybe you just got to pair him up with a, a Michaelis or a Cortez to balance out that whip. Stack the mustaches. You've heard it here live <laughs> on Beat the Shift. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, he declined going to the Dodgers, and then he signs with 
Arizona. Okay. Um, well, Arizona was a World Series team and the Dodgers weren't, so maybe we should read something in. Uh, he is a, about a $4 bargain, uh, going for about $6 auction equivalent value worth 10 according to projections. Uh, he's a guy who just made improvements over a year. Strikeout rate looked strong. Now, he was actually very lucky last year, but... You know, the projections are showing him at his regressed level. Like, uh, he's been unlucky in years. He's been lucky in years. He's bounced around. Uh, mm -hmm. Strikeout rate was just very fabulous last year. So the skills really did come together. I think the question a little bit is health. Ruven, let's go to you first on Eduardo Rodriguez. Are you in or out, especially since you could have a little bit of a health concern with him maybe? I don't think there's much of a health concern. He he did pitch at the end of the season. I, I really don't uh, – not nervous about that at all. I'm nervous more at the innings and how many innings he's going to pitch. He's never pitched more than 157 innings since, 2000, since 2019. And just that alone, if you want a guy here, I think he's a guy you'd pick – if you're looking for wins, because he's, he's going to be on a better team, so in, and, a, and a, I like the stadium he's pitching in also. So the division's not that great. Um, he His career, he had a career low in whip last year, which is, you know, there's going to be so much regression there. But I think the wins are going to give him a lot of his value this year. Any uh, disagreement, Paul? No, I think that's pretty well said. I will, you know, say I, I respect the reason that he didn't want to go um, to the Dodgers. It wasn't anything against the Dodgers for Eduardo Rodriguez. And I didn't like that way. Some people were framing it as like, he's not a winner. He doesn't want to go to a team. He didn't want to leave his family mid-season. And, you know, when you've been around uh, for a while and you sign a big deal and you get these stipulations where you can have some control, that is your choice. Like, not everyone's motivated by all the same stuff either. And so people project what they'd be motivated by. Like, oh, how can you not go to the Dodgers from the garbage Tigers? It's like, because he doesn't want to uproot himself in the middle of the summer when he's got kids at home and, and his family there, right? And like, maybe others wouldn't be as motivated by stick, sticking with their family. And I wouldn't make a judgment on them if they've got yeah. an agreement with their partner that, hey, you're going to take care of the kids until... October and I'm going to make this move and you know I'll be back then that's great but he might have a different arrangement where he says hey we need to stay uh, you know as a family here and I'm going to stay with you of course don't forget he left in 2022 to handle some personal stuff that we don't really know what all the details were but like I don't I don't disrespect him for anything and I'm not saying you were either by the way but a lot of no, people were. I wasn't trying to disrespect him of course no no I, I know you yeah. weren't but a lot of people were trash talking him and I really didn't like that framing against Eduardo Rodriguez because he bargained to get that to right, have that right, control right. and that is his choice he's he doesn't have to go everywhere and chase a ring and it shows now that yeah he's going to Arizona uh, basically for him, ever since Eduardo Rodriguez left Boston, I've, I've been interested because uh, he's gone to two good parks now, first Detroit and now Arizona. And with his skills in that park, I think he can put up another uh, sub four ERA, probably not 330, but give me like an upper threes with like a 125 to 130 whip and tons of wins like Ruvain said. Yep. And at that projection, he is a bargain. So I think we're, we're good on him. All right. Before we go any further, it's time for the Injury Gurus Trivia of the Week. Well, the next two pitchers we're going to talk about happen to be on the Rays. So this is going to be a Rays-centered trivia question. Last okay. year, Zach Eflin led the Rays in wins with 16. Only three other pitchers had more than 10. Who were they? On uh, on the Rays, only three other on pitchers? On the Rays La last, last year. Last year. Are we both guessing? You go first, me? of course. Okay. Um, I think McClanahan probably got enough because he probably got half of them in April. So that'll be my first guess is McClanahan. Yes, he had 11 wins. No, he was number three on the list. Did Glass now make it? Glass now made it. He had 10. 
So who is the last one? Guess, because man, I cannot think of a starter. I don't think Zach Littell did enough, and I paid my three fifty for Taj Bradley, and I know he didn't get ten. Um, Fairbanks didn't get that many. Did okay. I'm gonna go with a long shot here, just because he had a hot season. Maybe he stole a bunch of wins. Did Robert Stevenson vulture a billion wins? No, but you're thinking in the right way, and that's oh, why I wanted oh, to bring this up. I got the answer. Okay. It's the foul. It's the foul ball guy because they sometimes use him for relievers. No, no, he finished. He finished with nine. It was Colin Posh. He had twelve. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> he had twelve wins last year. So when you ever you talk about raised pitchers, you have to take into consideration the the organization when you're talking about the pitcher. So the mm -hmm. first pitcher we're going to talk about from the Rays is Ryan Pepiot. What do you make of him? Do you think he's going to bounce back, Paul? Do you think he's going to from an injury from injury plague season? Do you think he's going to blossom like like all Rays pitchers do, or is he just going to be one of those guys who doesn't throw more than four or five each time? No, I'm pretty obsessed with with Pepio, and and this trade doesn't really change that. You know, going from one great organization to another in terms of pitching development, I will say I, I have a little bit more concern that maybe he'll get stifled a little bit with uh, some shorter outings at times. But the command improvements that Pepio made last year were so sharp that if he holds on to a lot of those gains, then he should be efficient enough to consistently go five, even if they keep a, a tight reins on him in terms of his workload, because he pitched 42 innings last year and probably only another, what, 30 in the minors or something like that. So they are going to have some limits on him, but I love his skills. I love the, the control gains that we saw last year. I think he's going to be fine in Tampa Bay. I've been drafting him a bunch, and at his price, I'm, I'm fully in on Pepio. Yeah. Now, what what people don't realize is, you know, the re the projections are regressing players. I mean, he had a two fourteen ERA, point seven six WHIP. The projections are already taking into account the regression. They're mathematically doing it right. Trust mm -hmm. trust projections for for the the regression part of the aspect, if not. And they're regressing him to a four ERA and one two WHIP. So to me, that's fine. And at that price, he's a bargain if you believe he's going to pitch about 135 innings. Now, Absolutely. Nick Pollock was on the show last week, and he mentioned that he actually thinks the trade, the the uh, the transfer from the Dodgers to the Rays is actually going to help him. Uh, I believe he said because uh, he likes he's good at throwing uh, four seamers up, and the Dodgers are sort of against that, but the Rays are for that. So the the pitch mix philosophy on the Rays, he thinks they're actually going to help him so he'd That's take fantastic the, insight yeah so he takes the if you liked him before you should probably even like him more so the regression might be softer than you think uh i'll trust nick pollock and the projections Same. thumbs up on on everybody i think for, however for however pepiot has only thrown 127 innings for a season once in his career in the minors mm -hmm. so if you're if, if that was his max for one year you can't expect more than 140, 150 innings. So if you're going to draft him, keep that in mind because right. if you're thinking you're going to get 160, 170 innings, you, I don't think that's, that's not the Rays' yeah. DNA. They're not going to do nope. that. Yeah. And, and yeah, are you, don't – go ahead. Go ahead, Ariel. I, I was going to say, are, are you worried that um, Rays pitchers are ticking time bombs? I mean, how many of them went down last year who are really yeah, good pitchers? I mean, 
it, it, it really stunk. I mean, it tanked their season kind of, I think, um, you know, because by the end, you know, who were they using? I think they brought Rolando Orojo out of uh, retirement there just to get somebody in. Um, no, not necessarily. I think that that's one of those things where they get several guys. We want to make a narrative out of it. Every team gets pitcher injuries. And yes, they go through a lot of pitchers because they are open to just kind of burning and churning. But I'm not outside of seeing a study on it, I'm not sure that they have any more injuries than other teams. Um, because again, keeping pitchers healthy is remarkably difficult. So no, um, Pepio comes with his own injury risk because as Ruvain points out, he has not piled up a ton of innings. Going to the Rays does not inherently make him riskier for me personally. I mean, certainly we generally like when Rays are asking for players. They mm -hmm. sort of look at Zach Eflin. Let's make him better. Uh, so to me, I, I actually value that part of the aspect than, than oh, Rays pitchers get injured. So uh, And the next guy we're going to talk about, they went out and got, and it made me like him even more than I did with the other team that he was with, if, if we're going to stay in order yeah. and keep talking about these players. Yeah, next guy is Aaron Savali, um, who pretty much same. And he's also, what you know what I like about, uh, if you go back-to-back -back with uh, Pepiot and Savali, they're both going in a similar price range. They're somewhat similar in terms of their statistic, projection statistics. It's sort of a hot spot, right? I you agree. can get if you figure, hey, I'm going to have a pick in the 13th, 14th, 15th round, you'll probably get one of those two and I'm sure there's another pitcher or two that you like in that round. It's probably a good place in your draft to pencil in a pitcher. And uh, Aaron Savali, I mean, he looked absolutely filthy. He had a 30% strike, strikeout rate jumping over to the Rays, and his walks fell below 6%. I mean, he was just uh, a much better pitcher. And by the way, the, maybe the reason why he, his price depressed, that was masked because he had a terrible ERA. Yeah, and, that's and the he craziest had, part. Right, his skills went bananas, and he actually performed worse. 370 Babbitt did that to him with Tampa Bay. Absolutely unlucky. And for the year, the ERA was 346. But actually, he pitched better than that because he was so unlucky with the Rays. So I see a skills improvement, and I'll take the over on the skills. I think the question, again, is, is he going to pitch uh, over 120, 140, 160 innings? Where does he fall on the threshold? But at 140 innings, he's a bargain that I certainly want to invest in again. Yeah, I'll gladly per take the projection at a buck forty, but I do think Savali at twenty nine, you know, having been around for a while, it does is somebody that comes with that plus twenty in the back of my mind, where I, I think it is reasonable to, to think that with Pepio, I think you're you're wish casting at that point if you're like, oh, but he could go one sixty. I don't really see how that would be happening for 26-year-old Pepio. Uh, but for 29-year-old Savali, who's been around the block a few times, if things are going well and his health is cooperating, I do think the Rays will bring uh, turn the reins loose a little bit on him and push him into that 160 range to where he can get his first uh, ERA-qualified season. And, and you prefer Savali to Pepio? Um, honestly, it kind of depends on my team makeup. Do I Do I... Do I need the innings more? Because I do think Savali's are a little bit more guaranteed. Like who who's more likely with without health being a concern, uh, without a major injury, who's more likely to go 110, 120? That's gotta be Pepio. Yeah, yeah. So if I need the volume a little bit more, I'll lean Savali. If I'm open, then I'm just gonna go Pepio because I like his okay. skills a, a bit more. 
Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say because uh, Savali has started more than twenty games three straight seasons already. So you have that. You have the bulk guy, and you're getting in round fourteen to get twenty starts from your round fourteen guy on the Rays, and the Rays wanted him. They traded Carl Manzardo for him, who's now starting for the Guardians. Yeah. I mean, it, they paid a big price. They see something in him, and just like they can change Zach Eflin around like like a, a snap of fingers, they can do the same thing with Savali. And I think he's. I'd rather have him because Pepio has upside. Savali, you know what you're going to get. If he just takes the next step, then he's there. So I happen to like Savali better. I'm very open to doubling up on them. Like literally back-to-back rounds, if I'm going pitching heavy there, I would do a Pepio Savali elbow. And I'm big on on taking the uh, the wheel where I can get it, 15. Obviously, I'll take one. That's that's harder to get. Everyone seems to want one, especially with Acuna this year. But I'll take that 15 slot. I like doing the double pick. And I could see a Pepio Savale, uh, you know, d- double up right there that I would be super comfortable with personally. I'm the opposite. I like taking the middle uh, as opposed to the ends. It's probably better. To be honest, uh, it's just a comfort thing for me, though. I, yep. I like I like doing the double up. Yep, it's not much of a difference. Although, like for me, I'm a value drafter. You you the way I draft lends itself much better to look totally at the agree in the middle. Yeah. Yep, uh, Griffin Canning. Um, I mean, uh, did you tailor this list for me? I'm I'm not even joking. <laughs> like, you guys have hit on some of my absolute favorites. Here, well, I'm I'm Canning. glad to hear it that that you're agreeing with ATC this year. So uh, big you know, time. There, there are no tigers on the list, though. That's the thing. Yeah, that's okay. I, I I'm pretty good at, at divorcing my homerism from from my fantasy. I mean, I am trying to win after all, so <laughs> I can't be having too many tigers. I know we've got a bit more positive outlook this year, and you know, there's some guys that people are really chasing after. But over the years, I've been pretty good about making sure that I don't, uh, you know, also overly lean in on my favorite team. Although I will say, you know, during that run when the Tigers were pretty good, you could draft a lot of them and I could be a full-on homer and have plenty of success taking peak Miggy, peak Verlander, David Price, Max Scherzer, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, you had some good years there, no no doubt. Um, so uh, Griffin Canning, uh, we're talking mm-hmm. about a guy who showed skills improvement. Projections really like him, and they're all pretty much together. You've got an, a sub two inter SD, so projections pretty much do agree with each other. Um, I, I think Griffin is uh, Griffin Canning is a nice late inning. Now you're not going to get 180 innings out of him, uh, but again, when you're su- post pick 280 or so, you're looking for uh, something. You're looking for somebody who's going to have a couple of good starts. Uh, now, he might not win that many games being on the Angels. True. I don't see the Angels being a good team. So if you are a guy who's chasing the wins, he's not the guy to go after. Uh, and that could be important for your league. But otherwise, he's priced pretty cheaply. And he seems somewhat stable with some skills promise. So uh, uh, you said that you're interested in him. So uh, I'm assuming you're a thumbs up. Yeah, full cosign there. You know, he's going to be age 28 for Griffin Canning, uh, coming off 127. So, you know, what he, what he could normally do, like a 125, a 1.25 sort of uh, jump there on the innings, he could be around that 160 there. But just stick with the projections at 140. You don't got to push too much further than that. Be careful on that wins piece, though. I'm glad you brought that up, Ariel, because, look, wins are sporadic. They are difficult to project. But there is still the simple fact that the best teams win the most games and their pitchers are going to get the most wins. So don't pile up too many guys. And honestly, I'm kind of looking at myself in the mirror and talking about that. One of my flaws has been um, just stacking like the the Griffin Cannings, the good pitchers on these teams. But then I come up short and wins. And then I have to end up chasing with like the fifth, sixth starter types on the good teams. 
and then they're going to tank my ratios anyway. So be careful yeah. there. If you've got, you know, a handful of starters already on garbage teams, even if they're the good ones, you will fall behind in wins. Most likely you can get lucky sometimes, but don't bet on that luck. Make sure you're balancing it out. And that's where somebody like a Nestor Cortez comes in to kind of counterbalance somebody like a Griffin Canning, right? Or even one of yeah. the Rays guys. Yeah, or or if you're not gonna pick a good team, at least pick one that has a very good bullpen that can yes. hold your lead. And uh, who knows who the closer is? Um, I think that Estevez will get the first crack. Is that yes, your estimation? Yeah, they've yeah, said he probably. will. And then the aforementioned uh, Robert Stevenson, who's going from the Rays out there to the Angels, he'll be lurking in the shadows, though. If Estevez falls off the way he did in the summer last year, um, if it's earlier, then I think a, a Stevenson could take that job and run with it. And last pitcher will go to Ruvain first. Um, John Means was on our list. Obviously, that might change as of today. But I think it's actually good that we're bringing him up to talk about what, what to do with him. He's only going for like a buck or two at the end. We're talking 19th, 20th rounds availability, which I thought was absolute steal for a guy that, you know, has been a $10, $12 pitcher in the past and mm -hmm. looked okay coming back last year at the in very late but what is his health status Ruvain? and if john means is going to be out for at least a month which is what i think i'm hearing right now at least he's behind so we're talking about a month is that somebody in an nfbc league where there's no il that he's good enough to even worth stashing well, it's your. It depends on your roster construction. If you think, and it goes back to what we always say, if you think you're going to drop him, someone's going to pick him up next week, then you then you don't drop him. But if but this guy John means it's a little bit of elbow soreness from the from the surgery that he had. I think he'll be fine. I think he's just going to get a, a, a extended spring training, an extra month, let him build up to it because the Orioles want to compete. He is one of their main guys. They want him in the rotation toward the end of the year. They want to keep him safe. I think he'll be back. If you but if you're taking him like. We took him. We, we had an auction. We got him for two bucks. He's a guy that you don't have to be attached with either. If you hear bad news, if you're getting for one or two bucks or toward the end of the draft, you can just drop him. He, he's a guy, you, you, there's no reason to be attached to him, but he does have some upside where I think that we're going to hold on to him for a couple weeks into the season just to see where he goes. If we And if we find out that he has another setback, then we can drop him because we didn't spend that much money. We're not that invested in him. Yeah. Well, that's one thing when you're drafting early, you're going to get guys who end up, you know, Injured or so, uh, obviously, if you have him, it's a different story than is the available now when you hear about the injury. Uh, what's your take on him? Are, are you interested in, in uh, means before the injury, uh, Paul? And what do you Absolutely. do with him after the injury? Absolutely. Before the injury, John Means' business was somebody I was looking at on the rebound. I love what Baltimore's doing, of course. And that stadium, uh, the park change that they made with that wall, what's his biggest issue generally? Home runs. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's a good way to limit a bunch of homers against righties there by pushing the wall back a thousand feet. That almost seems like it was tailor-made for him. This one is not as scary to me as the Bradish injury. That said, I'm going to be a lot more cautious in drafting Means. I already have him in one league. Um, I might do it another you know if i got him in another dc sure i try not to invite too much injury onto my dcs because while 50 rounds 50 players feels like a ton it can add up quickly and you don't want to get too crazy with it but right now he's just behind schedule a bit with the shoulder um it's not supposed to be a major deal or elbow excuse me elbow for john means uh it's not supposed to be a major deal i'm going to monitor it throughout spring i'll probably just keep my one share and then wait until i get to my redraft leagues in march and then kind of decide where i'm 
I'm at with him there. I think I prefer him in a league where I can cut in case something really bad happens with the uh, with the injury. But I he's stay, staying on my board at least to consider because I do think the upside is there. And if this is just a little bit of, hey, I need some extra time, and then once my elbow is good to go, I'm ready to go off, uh, then I'll, I can get back on John Means. If it's something that kind of keeps getting pushed back and delayed and his spring you know, doesn't start until March 23rd or something, then we're just not drafting him then. Yeah, his price is going to end up going down as a result That's of this. That's true. So, uh, you know, his value goes down, his price goes down. Hey, it's Justin Mason's one of his top uh, breakout players for, or uh, undervalued players for the year. So we had to. He was pretty upset. Uh, he has him. I think it's his most rostered player so far uh-huh. in his fall winter drafts. And he had just gotten off a pod this morning with the fantasy pros um, with the Welsh talking him up as a potential breakout. And so he was pretty bummed by this. But again, this one isn't isn't kind of the uh, the major blow that Kyle Bradish's is. Like I said, Bradish fully off my board at this point now. Uh, I've already got shares, unfortunately. But means the price is going to come down, like you said, Ariel. And if he starts going pick 350, 400, then you can take that gamble in, in a DC still, even if he's slated to miss a couple weeks at the front end of the season. Well, any other um, players in this range or a little bit lower that uh, you know you have as, quote, sleepers? Uh, although, I don't know if you consider a lot of pitcher sleepers. There's so so much information these days. It's hard to sneak anybody uh, there. But uh, what is your take of a sleeper this year? I'm a big Christopher Sanchez guy from Philadelphia. He was somebody I really liked as a second half breakout, and I feel like that kind of came together nicely. And so I'm staying bought in. His price is not really elevated to the point where um, you know I have to overpay for that pick 252 uh, in the last month of drafts. I have no issues taking that gamble there. So Christopher Sanchez is definitely somebody I like. And you know we were talking earlier about making sure you don't get too many guys from a garbage team. And I co-signed Canning. I actually like multiple angels, which is so bad because they're such a crappy <laughs> team that I am worried. I won't get multiple on a team, but if I can get one of Reed Detmers, Griffin Canning, Chase Silseth, and even Patrick Sandoval, whose price is just fully in the tank. And I understand, you know, his, his command, uh, it, it just is non-existent. He'll, he'll walk in. I could get a walk off of him, but he's picked 533 right now. And I like to do DCs, uh, draft champions leagues. So he's somebody I'm keeping an eye on. And then somebody that I've just got a little star now. Next to you. I just want to see what's going on in spring, especially if they end up trading a guy, um, is Max Meyer with the Marlins. Now, he's coming back from TJ. I'm usually pretty tepid on TJ returners, but uh, the news after the Bradish situation today was that the Orioles are checking in on Jesus Lazardo. We've heard some rumors already about somebody like an Edward Cabrera. They seem ripe to trade a pitcher to get some hitting. And that could create a little bit of an avenue for somebody like Max Meyer. So that one's more of a deep league, probably even a dynasty situation. So where you're looking beyond this year, but he's a guy that I really liked when he was drafted. He went down with the TJ and I'm eager to see what he can do um, when he comes back this year. Yeah, the Marlins have a fantastic development of these starting pitchers. They, they really do. They traded Pablo Lopez, and they still had a good staff. Alcantara got injured. They still had a good staff. It's just almost seemingly never-ending pipeline of of pitchers there. Was was Luis Castillo originally a Marlin? Yes, yes, yes great, great yes, pull there. Yeah, they, they, and even as regimes change, like they are really, really sharp about pitching. Remember when you know they made the waves with Jose Fernandez, bringing oh, him yeah. up, having him break the team. They have a great model and theory of you know 
we're not going to waste bullets in the minors. If the guy's ready and he can contribute right now, bring him up and let him do that there. And so, yeah, I really like Marlins pitchers and then throw in the great park too. These guys aren't just made from the park, but that's a nice little um, cushion as well as they kind of figure themselves out when they're younger guys too. So I really do like what they're able to do. We saw Yuri Perez. He kind of fit that Jose Fernandez model this year. Yeah, he was a teenager, but why waste those bullets when he can do something big for you in the majors? And he put up 91 really strong innings this year. Lovely Marlin pitching. Unbelievable. All right, moving. Injury update time. Go for it. Well, we've been mentioning Kyle Bradish already. He has been diagnosed with the UCL sprains, partial tear, whatever you want to call it. He had a PRP injection, like I mentioned, in January, and he's scheduled to begin a, a throwing program already this week. So whether or not you want to still go on him, that's that's up to you, but I would probably stay away at this point. Another guy to stay away for now is Robbie Ray. He just has been cleared to throw three times a week, so he's not expected until the second half of the season. Another pitcher coming into spring training with shoulder issues is J.P. Frank. He has already said that he's dealing with shoulder inflammation. Um, he hasn't been shut down from throwing, which is a good thing, but they may gradually stretch him out. So we'll see how he does in, in the Grapefruit League, and we'll go from there. Another guy we've been keeping monitor on is Joe Musgrove because he missed a big chunk of time with, with injuries last year. He is throwing bullpens. He's facing batters. No issues whatsoever. So if you want to take that risk, he dealt with right shoulder inflammation and elbow bursitis last year. If you want to take that risk on a guy who's a little bit on the other side of 30, who's coming off injury, he's a guy you may want to think about. We already mentioned uh, Justin Verlander. He's already throwing already, so I'm not overly concerned about him, except for his age. Steven Matz, who had a lat issue and was shut down in August, is already throwing, and he's he's a guy you can get deeper in drafts also. He can be the number five starter for the Cardinals. So he's a guy, if the Cardinals turn things around, he may be a guy who will do well because he actually pitched pretty decently last year with a 3.86 ERA. So he was not too bad. So I think those are the guys you're really looking for. Um, during spring training, keep your ear out. Listen, hear all these injuries that are coming out. Some of them take with a grain of salt. Some of them don't. It's very hard to hear what the GMs are saying because a lot of the saying is just window dressing, so you don't know exactly what they're saying. But still, watch for spring training, who's pitching and who's not pitching. That's the best barometer. Hey, you mentioned uh, J.P. France uh, has issues. Um, Jose Urquidy, um, he's not sure he's going to make the rotation. Does this really increase his chance of doing so? And is Urquidy any interest to any of you? I'm a sucker for Urquidy. So, yeah, I would say that uh, this does give me a little interest in him. You know, it's it's coming off a dreadful year, but it's a complete washout for me. I, I'm not really judging him too sharply off of that. And Urquidy's price is in the tank right now. So, yeah, if this J.P. France injury does kind of keep pushing him or Kitty could slide in there and he's he's post pick 550 at this point so he's kind of quite literally free where he can't really hurt you even if things do go sideways and again, you, and again, you can wait and see how he does the first couple of starts you don't need to play him right away and he's on exactly. a good team so he can get you wins as well yep there you go alright well that's the end of our show want to thank Paul Spohr for coming on the show uh, thank you again and why don't you uh Tell everyone where we can uh, read your work and uh, listen to uh, the podcast. 
Gentlemen, thank you so much for having me on. I love listening to the show, and I really appreciate y'all allowing me to be on it. Of course, you can find my work over at Fangraphs, fangraphs.com slash rotographs, and I believe the fantasy.fangraphs.com still works too. Uh, but check everything out. We've been putting out our draft stuff. I am running the catcher, shortstop, and starting pitcher rankings. <laughs> I'm about to do a lot of work on the starting pitcher rankings because I'm going to have to be making a lot of injury updates. But I'm going to need uh, to be you know smart about it the way Ruvain said, not overreact to everything and bounce everybody down 50 spots every time we hear a little bit of news so i'll be on top of that jeff zimmerman and i just released our bust picks um our, our first run of those we will have our breakouts and sleepers coming Ellie down Dela the cruz was uh, up there on both of you guys he was on that. both I, I feel like if you're doing a bust list and you don't put them on then you're just you're not doing it i know it's kind of obvious but like how can you pay pick 20 are you guys paying pick 20 for him <laughs> no <laughs> okay, just making sure. I didn't think Jeez. so. Based on as projection-oriented as y'all you, are, I just you, figured there's you no think way. The, you think we're going to go by projections and go second round? Ellie Dela Cruz, no Yeah, there, there's literally no universe. <laughs> so I would have been absolutely floored and thought that you guys were AI creations if you had said that you were taking him. So, yeah. No, I had to put him on there. It's a guy I root for, and if I'm wrong and he – has a great season i will bask in being wrong because that means it'll be one of the most fun seasons ever for ellie but yeah i just can't do it oh and, and by the I'm, and by the way if 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 we're wrong and and he does have a good year it doesn't mean that it was a bad idea to pass on him there exactly that's the thing too like process versus results it's not that he can't it's that we're putting a number on the likelihood of it and all of right. us see it as remarkably low so if you hit your one outer on the river okay, you get to drag the pot, but if you keep playing one-outers for a $200 bet or whatever, you're going to lose that $200 more often than not. I'm making a poker analogy here, obviously, but yeah, that's a good point to make too. If it's if he's great, cool. It's a terrible pick at pick 25. But anyway, um, we also do the sleeper in the bus three times a week, Monday, Thursdays, and Fridays. We might be expanding to a fourth episode, and of course, Justin uh, talks with Jason Collette on most Sundays, so there could be upwards of five episodes as we turn the calendar to March here in a couple weeks. Uh, so yeah, so follow me there, and I also stream on Twitch. Not as much anymore because, you know, a lot of work been going on with baseball, but a couple times a week, twitch.tv slash spore. If you like baseball, come through and hang out, even if you're not a video gamer. Uh, we got plenty of people in there that don't even play video games they just come in to talk baseball and hang out absolutely well i mean i, I highly doubt that anybody who uh listens to the show doesn't know who paul spore is but uh obviously Thanks. you should be listening to uh the show and following paul as well uh Bouvain, how about you you can follow me on twitter at mlb injury guru where i tweet out or x whatever you want to call it where i tweet out injury updates as they're coming and they're coming fast and furious i try to get them as soon as they're given out by reliable sources and then you can trust them and also have a weekly article in season on Rotoball discussing all the injuries as well as many others well my twitter x handle is atcny which is a letter short shorter than uh sporer right i was gonna say that's one that's one of the shorter ones you can get there i like that yeah at cohen was taken i can't believe it but uh it was <laughs> uh, <laughs> and steve cohen didn't take it either by the way did you know steve cohen is my uncle wait for real no no Oh, no dang way. it. No way. <laughs> you had me for a second there. Yeah. No, not my uncle, uh, but and I don't have as much money as him. Uh, but uh, there you go. Uh, ATCNY, uh, you can read my work over at Fangraphs and Rotographs. Uh, I'm also on Rotoballer. ATC projections are out. 
Um, so use them. There was a projections update overnight. There's not much, many projections updates really uh, between like the first or second release until spring training goes, uh, because uh, you know there's not much information uh, that changes in the middle until you get news from spring training, like we did today. So expect more updates in March, and um, that is uh, pretty much it. All right, once again. Uh, thank you so much to Paul Spore for coming on the show. And from all of us here at Beat the Shift, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at Beat underscore Shift underscore pod.